Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly dialogue that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. That's T-H-E-D-I-S-P-A-S-S-I-O-N-A-T-E-O-B-S-E-R-V-E-R.com. Welcome, everybody, to Conversations with Z and Vindesh. It is great to be back. I know we've been gone for a long time. We've taken about a six-month hiatus. And the reason for that is we've been working hard behind the scenes on a project that we call Dharma Media. For those of you who know Z, you know that he's been in the health and wellness space for 50 years. He has an incredible wealth of knowledge. And in the past, he's worked with people one-on-one. That's been effective to a point. But what we want to do is take that teaching, that philosophy, that experience, and bring it to a much larger group of people. So we decided to create Dharma Media. It's an online portal. It includes our podcast, which you're familiar with. We've been building in-house documentaries. These documentaries track the progress of Z's students and showcase the incredible benefits that you can get from this approach. And finally, we've created a series of instructional content. You can access this through a subscription service. We have content on posture, on breathing, on meditation, on martial arts, on Tai Chi, on Qigong, on topics such as how to stay fit in your 50s. You can pick and choose from this content and use it to build your own life practice and really kickstart your own wellness journey. So thank you for tuning in. Check us out at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A-M-E-D-I-A.com. And in the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome, everyone, to the Dispassionate Observer podcast. Today, we are talking about investing in loss. And this is an interesting concept. If you just think about the word investing, it usually means that you're acquiring something. So if you invest in stocks, you put your money in the market, you want some higher return, you want more. And that's really how our society operates today at so many levels. We're conditioned to think that more is always better, whether it's more money, more experiences, more friendships. We really need to suck as much as we can out of life. And some people fall into a trap with this. So people end up chasing more. We think that more is going to fulfill us And often it has the opposite impact. And then we get into the wellness space and we think, okay, maybe I'm focused too much on material goods. Let me try yoga. Let me try meditation. Let me try a cleanse. Let me try some new diet. It's always more, more, more. We're looking for more answers. And it just doesn't seem to work. Z, talk us through this phenomenon. Why is it that people are always looking for more? And what is it they should be doing to fix this problem? Well, Vin... Investing in loss, if we think about that idea, going inward into the self, doing an inventory of the self, and seeing what you need in your life. And if people would do more of that, you would find that you actually need very little. Investing in loss is cultivating a level of awareness that allows you to see your life with clarity. I need very little to live, to be content, 
and to be healthy. One of the reasons that we don't invest in loss is what you brought up. We are geared to think more, more, more. The Dow is up. The economy is up. Spending is up. Debt is up. We never talk about moderation or how about reducing the footprint, so to say, of the energy needed. How about being more efficient? So if, when we're investing in loss, we're uh, really changing uh, that algorithm of thought, that scheme in our brain that everything is about more. When it comes to wellness and fitness, you really don't need a lot of things to be well and fit. You actually do very well unencumbering yourself. You don't need to go to a bunch of different courses and classes. You don't need a bunch of different equipment and things like that. You don't need to have exotic diets. What you need to do is have less. Have a simple diet, a bland diet, kind of get into routines of constancy in whatever you do. I was working with a young man who was uh, going through some depression and weight gain, and he was always asking, what more can I do? And said, so the problem is you're overweight, so you need to do less that draws weight. The problem is, is you're so centripetal that you become very depressed because you're running about looking for remedies. How about sit still, work on simple things uh, uh, in your life, uh, self-care, be consistent. Don't judge every step of the way. Don't, don't look out and say, how far have I come? I've been working on this for one hour. Am I one hour ahead now? Is there more I can do to accelerate my pace? And what I continue to prod him to do is constancy. Just be consistent. Be consistently moderate. Do less and less so that you have more focus, more energy to direct towards self-development. So all of us can take that lesson of investing in loss and use it in a myriad of ways. So it is a physics equation, so to say. If I unencumber the weight of the ship, then I can go further at sea because I have less burdening me. If I take more weight out of the airplane, it takes less fuel to go from point A to point B. The same way you could do in, with anything in your life, anything in the material world. If my apartment is not so full, if my house is not so full, it's easier to maintain cleanliness. If it means clean, we clean with open space, my mind tends to be less erratic and confusing. If I have fewer people around me that don't, the people around me that aren't cultivating my higher self, I don't have to manage their behavior so that I can really focus on the self. So I'm investing in loss. I'm putting up certain uh, kind of locks and boundaries, or they say in yoga, bandhas, that let me know I'm at capacity. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I think at a conceptual level, I follow you. If I understand you correctly, you're saying, let's take life and strip it down to the bare essentials. So whatever we're doing, whether it's just living, let's do the minimum required in terms of energy output to survive and to feel good about ourselves. So we don't need the mega mansion with 15 different rooms and a bowling alley and a maid's room. We need something which is simple, maybe something that gives us joy, something on a plot of land where we look outside and we just feel happy. If we think about friendships, instead of trying to cultivate a thousand different friends on Facebook who we're never going to talk to, 
let's focus on the quality of the relationships, find a circle of people who we really understand, who can relate to us, who we can rely on, and that gives our lives a lot more color and texture than just the shotgun approach of saying, okay, whoever is willing to friend me on Facebook, I now consider you a friend. So I think that the idea makes sense, and certainly we have a limited amount of time and a limited amount of energy. So if we're able to strip life down to its bare essentials, we free up that time and free up that energy. I think one of the questions that comes up is, what do we do after that? So if life does become simple, if we cut out all of the things that we don't need, if we cut out the entertainment, the time on our cell phones, the time flipping through TV channels, maybe the time gossiping about our coworkers or going out and eating a little more than we should. What is life about? What is our purpose? Because the way that I grew up, a lot of what I saw and I internalized from this culture is that all this excess that you're talking about is really the reward that we get for a life well lived. If we're successful and we're applying ourselves, then we can get that huge house. We can go and we can eat really good meals. And even if we don't feel good, we can take medication to calm down the reflux. We can go out and party with dozens of other people and have incredible nights. So if we strip all that away, Z, what are we living for? Then life is woven together by a number of skill sets. The skill of being healthy or well. It is said that health is, of all possessions, health is your greatest thing you can own, is good health. Of jewels, the greatest jewel one can possess is intimacy. Of all things in life that are precious, it is love that is the most precious thing. If we follow these classical ancient ideas, we look at that idea that you must have an extreme dwelling in order to find peace or happiness. Let's just think about that for a moment. How much space do you really need to find comfort and contentment? If you think about the old story of Khalil Gibran wrote of Madman John who found himself lying in a field and observing the sky and the sky was literally the roof over his head and the grassy field was the most comfortable bedding he had ever known. What they were meaning is that he was at peace with himself. He was at peace with his meditation. He was at peace with his family and friends. That's what's meant by that story. So when you're in this idea that you are pursuing the good life, think about the people who follow that doctrine. And would you say you would want to be like them? You probably wouldn't. Again, it is great that people can become wealthy and uh, do great things in the world or, or, or big things in the world. We're not talking about that. We're talking about on a deeply personal level. Are you loved? Are you healthy? Are you content in your own body? Can you trust 
those loved ones in your life with your open heart? Is there a price on that love? Or is it a priceless love? Can you monetize the intimacy in your life? So you ask yourself those questions, and, and often you'll find that the answer is no. Um, so what are you seeking? What are you running about? And, and when you're running about looking for more, you're missing out on what you have right there. How many times have we found ourselves running to the restaurant or the market to find a good meal, only to come home and look in the fridge or the cabinet and say, hey, I could have made this meal I really liked. And in the time you sat there with your loved ones or friends making a meal, you bonded with them. You had some laughs. You had tenderness. You had support. And that was better than anything you could have went out and got. So by investing in loss of that meal time, not going out and expending that, or uh, really looking at what you have right there, not just the meal, but who you get to share it with. Even if it's alone by yourself, you get to manage your diet and your well-being and get to contemplate on self-realization. It takes a lot less out of you. It gives you a lot more back. That's investing in loss. You expend a lot less and you get way more back. That's efficiency. That's good energetic commerce. That is wonderful energetic economics. So for the person who would say, I'm missing out, I would say, take a moment and breathe. What are you really missing out on? When you go to uh, crowded places, I, I worked in the entertainment business for years and late nights with people abusing all sorts of substances, taking a tremendous toll on their health, having more uh, financial resources than most people could imagine, but yet having trouble facing life every day without drugs and alcohol, uh, longing for a company. You often hear popular lyrics and songs that how much better things were before I became famous. So we have to kind of rethink for ourselves when you have enough, what are you interested in? Uh, what does a good house mean to you? Uh, is it a cottage in the country? A, penthouse on Park Ave, which one gives you the most freedom? Which one takes the less effort, the least amount of maintenance, which is gives back to you? Everything is an energetic exchange. Bowles' Law of Thermodynamics basically states that everything costs something, and sometimes that price is hidden. You follow me, Vin? Then suddenly they think, oh, my God, what is my life going to be about? What does it mean? How am I going to define myself? And it feels terrifying. And I deal with so many people who are middle age, maybe a little below, maybe a little bit above, who've done incredibly well financially, but they don't feel good about themselves. They never feel secure. They always feel like they need to prove something. They need to do something more. They need to keep up. It's a horrible way to be. But I think what continues that cycle is the sense of desperation and fear, which is if I let go of this, what is going to happen to me? What is my life about? And to your point, Z, they have not experienced 
the intimacy or the peace of mind that you're talking about. Because most relationships today, you've got people who are sitting next to each other on the couch, watching TV, and playing with their cell phone. There's no intimacy there. How can you know what the value is of intimacy if you don't experience it? You never have peace of mind. The second that you stop doing whatever you're doing, you're searching frantically for some new stimulation, some piece of information, some update on Facebook or Instagram. So you never even reach the point where you understand the value of peace of mind, of quiet contemplation. How do you think about that? How do we help people get past this fear and really this malthought? That's the term you've used in the past, which is a false narrative. This malthought that you have to achieve, you have to do more, you have to acquire in order to be relevant. Vin, one of the things that, um, of the many things you said that, that, that's so powerful is the idea that people don't even know. They don't even have a baseline. So the way they know, the way that understanding comes about is often with the decline of their physical and or mental health along with the savaging of their social life. Loneliness, poor health, and a poor mental state is often a great teacher. It is a, the rude awakener that something is wrong. The medicating yourself up and then medicating yourself down. The disdain for the physical body as it becomes more of a trap than a vehicle of expression. It becomes a confinement, a crypt, so to say. For those people who experience that, they often reach a point where they say, is there something better? And it's at that point that the seeking begins. And that is where I hope that what we're talking about will benefit those people is that life is short, shorter than we think. It's a wonderful journey, a beautiful opportunity to express all of you, whatever that is. But life serves life, meaning that you have to live it, not through others, not through surrogates, not by externalizing the idea of what a good life is, but from that internal uh, blossoming of the whole self. When you describe this type of life of living in areas that are so dense in population and you're taking external cues from others on what is and is not, that is not sustainable. Eventually rolling that dung wheel will just accumulate till it's too big to move. You're rolling that ball of shit like a dung beetle, until you can no longer move it or even store it. Um, at some point, there is the, the decline. The divorce comes. The health issues come. The emotional issues will come. The fragility of the career comes because of all those things. And hopefully, right before all of those things meet, you have a realization that I want to find me. 
I want to know me. I want to affiliate with me. And then the next question comes is, who is who am I? Who is the me? Then that's when the work begins. What do you really need to be content? I, I don't want to be in traffic. I don't enjoy the noise of the city. Maybe someone else does. I can't speak for them. I love fresh country air and the sound of water. I love the idea of my children having friends and uh, developing at a normal, moderate rate. They don't have to be in the best school. Who, who, what school is the best school based on what metric, what judgment, what committee has decided the best? What is the best neighborhood? What does that mean? It means nothing. You have to decide what is best for you. And your partner and you together collectively say what is best for us, thus what is best for our children. The minute you externalize that, you are no longer on the right path. So investing in loss is letting that go, letting go of that external prodding that has no a faceless master. We are being prodded by a faceless master. Go here, go there, do that. And at the end of the day, you don't feel any better. So we fantasize about the people who enjoy country living. We travel as tourists to different places, and you come back and say, wow, these people who lived there had such a simple life. They were more content than we are. They were healthier. They live just as long as not longer, and they don't have all the burdens that we have. What are the burdens? It's not just material burdens, but it's the idea that those, that material burden has now become your deity of existence. And that deity of existence is built on the sacrifice of the self. So we want to reclaim ourselves. Do a bath. Take that abulation, that cleansing of the self, and say, what do I need? Sit with your partner and say, what do we need? Why did you fall in love in the first place? Why are we even hanging out? Did we need the approval of faceless committees? Did we need some media blog, an internet influencer, to tell us we were okay? You didn't need all that. You felt something deep in your own essence, in your core self, in your gross body that says, you work for me. We work together well. I enjoy your company. Now you're sitting across from each other, uh, textbooking and Instagramming and Facegramming and all these other kinds of different disconnects. And then eventually it's harder and harder to bear one another because you've been so removed from the texture of intimacy, that real intimacy is painful. It's difficult. doesn't feel good anymore. Um, so we have to let that go. Go back to the basics. Invest in loss. Try it. Say, I'm going to let go and we're going to just be. We're going to sit here and maybe we'll talk. And at first it's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult because you haven't been practicing it. It's awkward. Maybe you sit down and look at the uh, family activities and see how disconnected you become by adding so many things. 
Maybe you look at your social circle and say, let's go down a list and see who are real friends. Let's create a, a real friend graph. So what is a real friend? Someone who knows me well, who has seen me when I'm sad or when I'm happy, has seen me when I'm not at my best and at my best, and they have no judgment either way other than there is a synergy between us. And you will find that you have very few friends with your partner, your wife, your husband, whatever. What attracted you to that person in the first place? Are you working and nurturing those things? Or I always use the term, my, my wife, you got to water the plants in the house. Well, I don't like plants. I, not that I dislike plants, but I don't have time. I'm not a horticulturist. But what I mean by that is check in with each other. Because before there were kids, before there were bills, before that there were the two of you who decided to be together because you liked each other. Nurture that like in order to cultivate the love. It takes far less energy. That means you're moving things off the table. You're not involved in social media as much. You take control of your mind again. You remember why you're there, that you were at one time open for love and vulnerable. Go back to that because that will sustain you. Everything else will drain you. The traffic will drain you. The endless current in the career, aspiring for more and more in your career, will consume you. You will spend less time with the people who care about you. You will die sooner because the weight of excess will drown you. If you need to keep your head above water, you cannot carry weights in your hand. Invest in loss by letting go of that weight. Spend time with people who care for you. Then you'll find that you can cut loose maybe 80 to 90% of the people you know or you think you know because you really don't know people. Have you been to their house? Have they brought you a meal? Have they sat with you when you're sick? Have you been able to cry on their shoulder and them on yours? Have you laughed till you couldn't laugh anymore? Ask them so. If you haven't done that, they're not your friends. They're associates, acquaintances. Then create healthy boundaries. Use some of your energy to create limits and boundaries with those people so that you're not investing your time, your precious energy and resources in excessive ways that will only deplete you. Invest in loss. So I want to go back to the point you made a few minutes ago. You talked about sacrificing the self. And I think this is so important because we've been lied to by this faceless committee that you mentioned. We've been taught, we've somehow internalized that a successful life is getting more. A successful life is never having an empty moment, always having something to do, someone to talk to, having more and more titles, more and more money, whatever it is. But in order to get that, we sacrifice that self that you're talking about. We sacrifice the things that are actually fundamental to life. That's the time with our loved ones, which you mentioned. That is incredibly restorative. I come back after a day of work and I see my kids and it's like a battery. It's like you flip a switch. It's just instant energy that flows into me and I just feel good. My mood 
completely changes. The more of that I do, the better I feel. I spend time with my wife when we just sit down and talk and we put the TV away, we put the cell phones away. It's like, wow, I know you, but I'm getting to know new things about you. I feel closer to you. I feel comfortable and safe. I'll tell you about another experience I had. I was in New Mexico and I was hiking in a canyon and there was no one else there. There was no one around except my wife, myself, and our guide. And I get into this canyon and it was this incredible set of rock formations. It was like Gothic structures, but no one had built this. It was just naturally developed uh, through the eons and uh, through the rain and the erosion and the type of rock and the type of soil, it just formed these fantastical structures. And I'm standing there in the sunshine looking at this, and my mind went silent. All thought disappeared. And I was sitting there, and everything you hear about or you read about in terms of mystical experiences, the sense of vast openness, this infinity of consciousness, this connection to something larger than yourself, that was there. It didn't last for that long. But it was there, and it was profound. And the more that I've let go over time, the more I've dissociated with the things that are just a drain on my energy and that simplified my life, I get more and more of those moments. And that's what life is about. Now, the problem, of course, is that when we're chasing what the Faceless Committee is telling us to chase, we're throwing away ourselves. We're throwing away all the things that are valuable. Excuse me. We are throwing away all of the things that are valuable and in some sense, it's the cruelest irony because we all want to be happy. We don't want to feel good and satisfied. We think we're walking down that path, but actually we're destroying ourselves and we're destroying ourselves to an ever larger degree. So I think it's time to really ponder this and hopefully not get to the point of absolute desperation, maybe start to tilt the trajectory, start to reformulate life so that we can use the time that we have productively. Z, one thing I want to get your perspective on, if we talk about the downside of consumption and always wanting more, we've talked around the edges, but maybe we could go back to something like those campaigns they had in the 80s, the D.A.R.E. campaigns, the drug abuse resistance education. And the slogan was, D.A.R.E. to keep your kids off drugs. And they had this image of your brain and your brain on drugs, and it was an egg. And you put the egg in the frying pan, and suddenly your brain was fried. And as a kid, you thought, oh, my God, this is terrible. Let me stay away from drugs. I think actually it didn't work, but still, I thought the concept was interesting. So if we try some of those scare tactics, how can we help people understand what the cost is of a life that's always built around more? What does that do to our peace of mind, to our level of anxiety, to our physical health? Can you share some of that? Well, we're seeing it. We're seeing it now. Um Younger and younger people are suffering from geriatric diseases, kyphosis of the spine, spondylosis, memory loss, uh, mild dementia to severe dementia, things that look like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, chronic obesity, chronic fatigue, um, uh, various immune disorders, uh, seizures. More and more people are going into the hospital with cortical collapse and uh, undefined seizures of all kind. I got an EKG of a young man who had ischemic heart disease, meaning that there's some way the heart itself has a hole or his veins are perforating and they can't find it. 
and he's working hard and keeping up with everybody. He recently broke up with a girl that loved him very much, but because he was so attached to the outside forces telling him and, and shaping his opinion of himself and if he should wear skinny jeans and the right shirt and the latest drink, that he abandoned his love, his beloved so that he could seek approval from the Faithless Committee and it's left him with a hole, a physical hole in his heart at 40-something years old. And um, he was saying, what should I do? I said, you should go back to that woman uh, on your knees and do your best to be kind to someone who loved you without a price tag associated with it. She didn't care whether you failed or succeeded. So there are so many, uh, the people, the level of unhappiness is high until people now have clinical depression because they are so unhappy with their daily life that they need a pill to get through the day and prevent suicide. Suicides of all kinds are on the rise. And even if the suicides aren't on the rise, the zombie-like existence of people, because they're constantly going to the faceless committee to get a ribbon of approval, and that will never happen. Let it go. Invest in loss. Life happens inside of you, not outside. When you go in for a medical checkup or if I want to check your vitals, I'm not looking outside to see how you feel. I need to go and look at the internal functions of your body to know that everything is working right. I need to make sure that your pulse ox is good and your, uh, your, your heart perfusion index is good and so on and so forth. I don't care what's happening outside. I want to know what's going on inside. So people are so fixated on this more, more, more-ism that they're not dealing with self, me, family, friends. That's all you have. The Faces Committee will not do your eulogy. They will simply move on. They'll move on to the next fool who wants to buy more, who wants to double dip, who wants to increase the volume. How about opt out of all that altogether? Go back, like you said, walking through the wilderness was just simply beautiful. Nothing can match nature. You are a part of nature. There is nothing more to life. Is it, is it is exciting or as boring as you would like it to be. I find that finishing a long day and my children waiting up for me, my, my children waiting up for me and my little one doing a ridiculous little dance to tell me how happy he is to see me lifts my spirits more than anything. Something that simple that I can share with no one nor should I share it with anyone. That is called intimacy. That one thing warms my heart to its nucleus, and I feel alive more than anything else. Remind yourself of those simple treats in life, because that is life. When those are gone, you have nothing, and uh, the, the dread of the endless pursuit of the endless pursuit is there will never be a moment of rest or peace or contentment. And the greatest kind of happiness is contentment. So finding the manageable place, the simple place, 
the manageable and the economical place, the sustainable place. That's what we should strive to do. And you talk about the slogans of your generation, and in my generation was the litter campaign. People were so fearful at that, that point in the world, people in metropolitan areas, people would just throw garbage out of the window of their car, or toss it out on the highway. Then they came out with penalties for tossing garbage because they thought at one point at this rate, in 20 years, the whole earth will be covered in six foot of garbage. So we had a litter campaign and it said a lot of litter messing up our land and the litter bug is getting out of hand. So let's get together. There's something we can do. Pick up and clean up. It's all up to you. So you would ask your parents, hey, can you get me a, a litter bag in the car? Every time you went to the gas station, you would harangue your parents to get a litter bag and you would yell at your uncle or your aunt, don't throw that out of the window because I don't want to trudge through garbage. I don't want to encumber my life with waste. So every generation has, and I think this generation is volatile consumerism. The endless idea that you need more. You don't need more of anything. You have everything you need. A heartbeat in your chest, your belly is full, and you are loved. That is it. Z, I'm wiping away tears. I've always known that you were talented, but I didn't know you could sing like that. It just lifts my heart and my spirit. So thank you. <laughs> I just uh, went through a list of uh, tunes of old cartoons for Caitlin that she had never heard from the 50s and 60s. Yeah. All right. Let's get back on track. So this metaphor that you talked about, which actually is a literal thing that happened, someone had a hole in their heart that they couldn't fill. They couldn't fill that hole no matter how much money, how much achievement, how much entertainment, how many parties they go to. I still got that emptiness and the physical manifestation of it because there's the connection between what we feel and what we experience in our bodies. That's right. I think, I think that's a perfect metaphor for why we need to invest in loss. Because if we don't feel good inside, if we don't feel peaceful, if we don't feel content, then all this crap we're chasing has no meaning. It's never going to fix the problem. And again, that's where our head sometimes is turned around. We think that we can take what's on the outside and use it to fix what's in the inside, and it just doesn't work that way. We have to start on the inside. So we've talked quite a bit. We fleshed out this issue of investing in loss. You just went through all of the health problems that we're seeing as a result of this volatile consumerism and this idea that we constantly need more. We also touched on some of the impediments to investing in loss, the malnarratives the sense that if you're not out acquiring, you're not spending every free second doing something, then your life isn't worthwhile. It's not meaningful. Or even if it is, you don't know what that is. So you're so afraid to step off the treadmill because you don't know what you're going to find. So let's, let's, uh, well, what's the right term? Is square the circle? Uh, let's figure out how to help people through this process. What can you do practically? Where do you start if you're at a point where you say, I know I should invest in loss. I know I'm going down a route that's unsustainable, that's damaging to my health, but I feel afraid. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get started. What's your advice for people? Then what I do with, with many of the clients that are having health issues, and like I said, what happens in the mind manifests in the body young man literally has a hole in his heart. I know a young woman whose gut is failing. Her digestion has completely failed from 
constantly looking outside of herself, seeking the approval of others, wanting them to nurture her when she won't nurture herself. So her body is no longer nurturing itself because she's looking outside for people to nurture her who really are just draining her life force. So her gut has failed. What I start with people is you have to follow the IPI, right? We always talk about that, the identify, process, integrate formula. Identify what the problem is. Begin the process of mitigation, and the integrative aspect is when you become the process. So I have them create a yantra, a blueprint of their day, their time, their 24-hour day. And you look at how you spend your time, and however you spend your time will equal what you have created. So if you're spending X number of hours looking outside yourself and trying to fit in, that's what you're creating, a, a consuming creature with no gut, no stomach. Then you go to the doctor and say, well, I'm having digestive problems. I keep eating and consuming, but my gut isn't processing nourishment. I malnourish, but I eat all the time. Well, look at how you spend your time. You're, you're moving about, but you're not nurturing. You're eating, but you're not nurturing yourself. So nurturing is more than just that food you're putting up to your face, but the environment, the circumstance, the situation, the people you're around, the mindset you're in. Many medicines work on a placebo effect. You believe it works, so thus it works. So we have placebo is a curative in itself. It can also be... Uh, a, a, a diseased pathogen. So understand the power of the mind in all of this. So you begin by looking at how you spend your time and what you are creating in your life every day. You sleep eight hours if you're healthy. You work possibly eight hours if you are a common working person. You have eight hours that define who you are. Do you go to the gym? Do you read a good book? Do you have company with uh, people that nurture your higher self? So that's all you have to look at. If you're not doing that, look at what you are doing because whether you're consciously or unconsciously, that's what you're creating. So you can begin by doing the blueprint of the self. Simply clock out a 24-hour clock. I slept eight hours. I did work for X number of hours. I dwelled in, in depression for five hours. So imagine if you were a professional or high-end athlete and you spent two, three hours a day perfecting your, your skill set in your sport. You'd be world-class. If you were a tennis player and you were working on your uh, tennis technique, you were an archer and you went out to the uh, archery field and you shot arrows for four hours, how good would you be? Let's say if you spent four hours self-loathing, how good would you be at that? If you spent three or four hours wondering what other people thought about you, you'd become an Olympic level sucker, right? To the faceless committee. So whatever you spend your time doing, you become good at. So focus, take a dispassionate look at your time. It's okay, here's how I spend my time. And then that time equals your reality. If you're spending four hours at the archery ring, you're going to be a damn good archer. 
You spend four hours a day boxing, you're going to be a damn good boxer. You're going to spend four hours a day depressed, you're going to be damn good at being depressed. It's really simple. You got me, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I think that's a very powerful point. Going through the exercise of writing things down, it gives you a certain amount of objectivity. And a lot of times we hear that people are so busy, they have no time for this, they have no time for that. When you actually document what you're doing, it's amazing the flexibility you have to take out activities that add no value. And to step back and think, is this really the person I want to be? Do I want to be someone who's flipping through YouTube videos for six hours a day? Is that someone I respect? Do I want to be someone who's preoccupied with my cell phone instead of building relationships with my family? And going through that, I do think, can be a wake-up call and also help start to create the plan, as you're saying, Z, to live the life that you want to be. Another thing that people can do that really helps is we all have to have our own religion, our own life philosophy. We have to figure out what is our dharma, what is, our, what is the book of, of, of self. And the classics have always given us the breadcrumbs we need and the building blocks and the puzzle pieces to construct those ideologies and rules of ethics that brings us into a more civilized consciousness and away from a feral state. In most of these texts were born of conflict and war. So they talk about petty skirmishes. And petty skirmishes are those things that go on in our life that we put a lot of energy and tend to, but they don't give us much back. It's kind of like being overly controlling. It's exactly being overly controlling. You want to tell the Uber driver how to drive. You want to argue with the waiter in the restaurant. You want to uh, school the meter maid on, on parking fines and fees. You want to go to the doctor and tell him how to treat you. Or you want to do all these, different, all these petty skirmishes that consume a tremendous amount of time and energy in your life, but don't give you anything back. And then uh, it goes to what I was saying to my wife. She was saying, I'm overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed. And I say, what things can you let go of? She says, I'm doing so many things, I, I, I don't have enough time. I say, let's go over a list of things that you can let go of. And by the time she was done, she realized that she had two or three hours every day that would be much more relaxing if she wasn't trying to control. Then right around that time, uh, one of our little ones came and said, hey, Mom, can I have a snack? She said, no, you can't have a snack. You just ate dinner. And I said, that's a petty skirmish. The kid wants to eat a snack. Let him eat a snack. Okay. And so then the baby comes, and I hand him a, a cup to drink something out of She said, don't use that cup. Use a different cup. I said, what does it matter? She said, wow. So all those are petty skirmishes which require a tremendous amount of energy, the same as a large battle. So investing in the loss of skirmish, you actually give more time to yourself. And all of us can think about that, Vin, when we, in our life, like things that we could let go of that really aren't that big of an issue. When I go to a restaurant, I, I, I don't have issues with the wait staff because I am not looking for a petty skirmish. I observe the surroundings. I apply a bit of situational awareness. I greet the person in a humane way because that opens up communication. It takes me no extra energy to be nice to the wait staff as it does to be nice to a new client. So I, I practice that as part of my life philosophy. In doing that, the person hears me clearly and they often, more often than not, offer me premium service at a practical price, simply by offering kindness instead of a petty skirmish. 
So there are so many things we can do in our life to mitigate the stressful load on our life. Investing in loss, kindness takes less effort than conflict, being agreeable takes less effort than being disagreeable, accepting that you can't change things that are unchangeable, you have no sway over another person's life, accepting them as they are takes a lot less energy than trying to manipulate or change them or cajole them into who you want them to be. So you avoid petty skirmishes, things that will give you little back but cost a lot. Yeah, Z, this idea of control, I think, is really important. And in a sense, we're conditioned to always want to do something, even if the situation doesn't require it. Sometimes the best thing we can do is nothing. Sometimes we just need to sit back and wait. But I see this in personal relationships. If you're dating someone and you're waiting to hear back from them, you're checking your cell phone every five minutes, maybe you think, oh, should I send them a text? Should I ask how they're doing? And in the process, you actually drive them away as opposed to just sitting back and waiting for things to evolve. Or at work, this happens a lot, where people feel like they have to do something. I work in finance, and the market's moving. We have to do something. We have to call people. We have to give them an update. We have to send out emails. Yeah, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. We're not going to do anything about it. We can't control whether the market is up or down. Maybe we just let it go. Maybe we save ourselves the effort Maybe we save people the anxiety, and we save our energy for times when there's really something to talk about. And by the way, if we do that, the times when we do speak up, people are going to take us, people are going to take us more seriously. They're actually going to pay attention to what we're saying. So I think not only do we feel better and less anxious when we stop trying to control, but in a lot of ways, we become more effective, and we're just better able to deal with a lot of situations. Of course, Vin. And again, if, if we wrote down somewhere avoiding petty skirmishes and that sense that you have to do something, you have to react to reaction, it's better to respond than to react. Um, I had a client here helping me do a repair and I needed him to hold something for me. And he kept coming up with ideas and ways to do it where he was just flirting about. And it took me so much energy to get him to be still that we wasted a tremendous amount of time on the project because he was always trying to figure out another way. And sometimes it is about stillness, patience, waiting it out, allowing the water to boil, right? Let the flower blossom. And many situations resolve themselves if you simply are patient and not always moving it around. It's, it's something you learn from having a handicraft of some kind. You're putting something together with glue. You have to sit there and wait till the glue sets. It might be two, three minutes, five minutes, and you just have to wait because if you constantly are moving it back, when it's done, everything falls apart. So sometimes doing nothing, adding nothing to it, is the absolute formula. Sometimes you have a misunderstanding with somebody. Wait till it cools down for both of you and then come up with solutions, but not in the heat of the moment. Yeah, so we've talked about a couple of ideas. We've talked about the time blueprint, the Yantra. We've also talked about avoiding petty skirmishes. Are there any final thoughts, Z, on how we can advance our efforts to invest in loss? 
Well, again, it helps. I believe that journaling and creating mantras around in your environment, your workspace, in your home, um, which are the kind of, they are the subconscious narrative in which stewards us through moments. So I have around me at all times certain classical philosophical books that I can open at any time on any page and they keep me on track. I have different reminders, altars all around me of the behaviors of the various deities and saints that I look upon. If I look over my left shoulder, I can see Hanuman and Muhammad Ali. If I look up, I'll see Kuzin uh, calligraphy that reminds me of devotion and dedication. And all around me, there's always something I could look for that when I am not at my best, they guide me back to the light. And it takes nothing. It takes no extra energy. It actually takes energy to veer off course because everything around me is tracking me in the right path. So for those who are working on that, I think if you begin by creating mantras and, and, and tantras around your house, which is basically small altars. It could just be a word. It could be a picture of a loved one, a reminder of a moment and in, in, in where you your head was in the right place. How do you stay on that path? Just stay on the right path. Invest in loss. Uh, don't waste your time. Avoid petty skirmishes of all kinds. Be agreeable. So that's it. All right. There we have it. Some good words of wisdom, some ideas about how to invest in loss. And let's all really try to remember what's important in life. Uh, to avoid this faceless committee, this pursuit for the sake of pursuit, acquisition for the sake of acquisition, get rid of all of that. It might feel a little bit scary, a little bit unsettling, but that's just because it's unfamiliar. So practice investing in loss, get back to a more simple life, and get back to yourself. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Every five-star review allows us to share more unique and insightful content. Learn more at thedispassionateobserver.com. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week. Peace.